Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's an enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. A pea super out there. An absolute pea super. You can't see two feet in front of you. Compare it to this time Yesterday morning when we glorious sunshine. Mind you, it was Baltic cold. It's a lot less so this morning. Maybe that's where the fog comes from when it's a tiny, tiny bit warmer. But a nice morning all the same. Good morning to you. Honest to goodness, this thing about a blasted rugby match versus mandatory quarantine. Like, remember what they did in Australia for the tennis? They said to the biggest tennis names in the world, to Serena Williams, to Novak Djokovic, to every single one of the biggest tennis players in the whole world, they said, there's the hotel, sunshine. If you don't like it, there's the plane. That's what they said. And here we are faffing around about a blasted rugby match and wondering, can we have exemptions for this and exemptions for that? No! No! If you can't quarantine... No game. Simple. Should be at least. Anyway, good morning to you. 1850-715-996. Happy to take your views on that. Also, I must tell you, yesterday we were inundated with calls. I mean, inundated with calls from people who were supposed to get a vaccine yesterday, turned up at Parquet Cueve to find there was no clinic on. No one had told them. No one had messaged them. No one had let them know, don't travel. I'll give you a little story from Hoboken, New Jersey later on in the morning that'll just make your eyes water. But first of all, let's look at the major developments of the last few days. Yesterday we heard that Johnson & Johnson's now paused in the United States because of six dodgy cases in seven million doses. Now, six women are sick and, to be fair, one has passed away from blood clots. They're all aged between 18 and their mid to late 40s. But it's six cases, all women, in seven million doses. And they've paused the rollout of Johnson & Johnson in the States. And as a result of that, J&J have held back from rolling out in Europe, which means the 650 odd thousand doses we were supposed to get here in the second quarter of the year now probably won't come which means we leave one big hole in our vaccine rollout and of course we've had the whole AstraZeneca thing now with that being limited to people between 60 and 69 and all those clinics by the way cancelled for the rest of the week except 
those arranged for people over the age of 60. It really is as clear as mud what's going on. There's a great spread, an excellent spread in the Irish Sun this morning. Uh, Adam Higgins is their political correspondent. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. It's a mess, mate. It really is. As clear as mud is probably uh, the right thing. And I think there's a lot of um, people, the government would have thought uh, this week that they could have been coming into a very positive week with the restrictions easing, kids going back to school, parts of restriction starting. And and I don't think anyone saw this absolute nightmare instead that has hit them with not one, not two, but three really big hammer blows to the government's COVID-19 response. Let's deal with them one by one. Now, Johnson & Johnson... Uh, pulling the plug after six cases in seven million doses in the States. Now, that is the abundance of caution that we talk about. And we'll probably, let's face it, they'll probably sort that out and they'll be rolling it out again within three weeks to a month. But it slows us up. It does. And here's hoping you're you're right and that things can get back underway very quickly. That that phrase has uh, migrated from Ireland across the sea to the US with an abundance of caution being used by uh, the, the FDA in the States where they've asked the states to suspend the use of the vaccine while they have a look at these um, blood clot uh, reports. So that has led to Johnson & Johnson saying that, look, we're going to hold off. We won't deliver our vaccines to Europe. We were due to start getting them on April 19th, and that was supposed to be 40,800 vaccines to come this month, so in the next two to three weeks. And it's important to say that this wasn't, this isn't going to be a massive immediate hit to the, the campaign because, as we know, those 40,000 shots would have been 40,000 people fully vaccinated because it's only one shot. And yeah. um, From what I understand, the government were going to use the initial deliveries of, of um, Johnson & Johnson for those hard-to-reach groups, the likes of the Traveller community, the Roma community, and homeless people where they thought it'd be hard to, to get them back for a second mm. dose. So that's, what, that's the initial plan for Johnson & Johnson. But if the advice changes on this, so if the advice changes from the EMA or NIAC following the study in the US that we can only give Johnson Johnson to, say, over 75s or over 60s, this is going to cause a really big problem for our campaign because when I'm talking to the health officials and government sources, they say that the, the Johnson & Johnson job is the one that a lot of us uh, in the early ages were going to get. So mm. the plan was Young, that, healthy like people, myself, it suits them exactly, perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, we would be going in and you're done, and that was the plan. But uh, now if, that, if the advice changes on the back of this decision, that, that'll cause real problems. But it's not an immediate hit. It'll probably be next month and the month after, if the advice changes, that we'll really see things have to change w- when it comes to the rollout. Now, Michal Martin is meeting the the vaccine team this morning or the vaccine advisory team, task force, whatever they call themselves. What's going on at that meeting, Adam? So what's happening now this morning is the the Taoiseach, the Tarnishta and uh, Minister Eamon Ryan will meet with the head of the tax, uh, the vaccine task force, that's um, DC, former DCU President Brian McCraw, and he'll also meet with uh, several HSE officials to discuss how they're going to reprofile the, the vaccine campaign in order to fit in not only the Johnson & Johnson issue, but also the issues around AstraZeneca. As you very clearly outlined there, the, the Went be in the introduction. This can now only be given to 60 to 69 or 60 and over with uh, health conditions. Now, there is 235,000 first doses of AstraZeneca have already been rolled out. Only 250 people have been given their second dose. And the vast majority of people who have got this vaccine are healthcare workers, the likes of pharmacists, nurses. And now, when they were supposed to get their second dose 
from next week on is when they were starting to hit that 12 weeks when they were supposed to get their second dose. That's been pushed back now to 16 weeks while they scramble to find some sort of plan. Now, I was talking to several officials last night about, look, what are we going to do here? And all options really are on the table. So one of the options is mixing vaccines. Mm. These people getting maybe a Pfizer or a Moderna as their second dose for AstraZeneca, that's up for discussion, but they have to see whether the science backs that up. Another thing that's seriously up for discussion is extending the dose uh, date between Pfizer jabs and Moderna jabs. So these are the mRNA vaccines, the the really high 94% ones that we've seen at the very start of this. So the plan might be, this is up for discussion now this morning at Cabinet and between the, the officials, is can we... That date is supposed to be, you're supposed to get your first jab and then your second jab four weeks later. Can we push that back to 12 weeks like they have in Canada and parts of the UK? Mm. Can we push that back and more people can get their first dose quicker mm. while they try to fix this? So because th- so we this know from Israel and other places, don't we, Adam, that even after your first Pfizer jab, you have the bones of 80% resistance to this thing. Like It's, it's bulletproofing. It, it, it would really greatly boost the numbers that we're seeing every day and it would help more people get the vaccine quicker. But we have to wait to see what the, the science is on that because yeah. I know when the UK made that decision or we're talking about that, making that decision, Pfizer were very clearly saying, look, our advice is four weeks. That's yeah. what's on the box. That's yeah. what you should do. So Anyway, we can get now. more of it. I know we're tied to the EU distribution chain, which to be fair with Pfizer seems to be working fairly well. But anyway, we can get more of it. You know. Well, wouldn't wouldn't that be the dream now? Because Pfizer, as we've all known from the start, they had that one blip at the very start, and they have been hitting those orders time on time and getting bigger and bigger and adding more doses to their orders when when it's needed from after being ordered from the EMA. So it would be great to see us getting more of that Pfizer and Moderna, but unfortunately, all of that has to be done through the European Commission. Do you know if there is any internal moves within government, within the Department of, of Health, to see could we get another source? That um, is a question that was answered a couple of weeks ago when the Taoiseach met with the CEO of Pfizer, he met with the CEO of AstraZeneca, and he also met the CEO of Johnson Johnson because he was trying to, one, see... Can we get extra doses to see, can we start making the vaccines here? Because as we know, and particularly in Cork, there's quite a lot of um, uh, pharmaceutical companies uh, and we want to start making them here. But unfortunately, it just seems it would have been a logistical nightmare for the companies to get all the ingredients from elsewhere in the world because they come from, I think, 27 different countries and get them here in order to then fly them out across the world. So I, I'm not sure whether we will take part in the vaccine um, creation process. And because of that, I don't think we'll really get any boost of yeah. our own deal outside of Europe. We just need to need to go with it as it comes, but it has been coming very quickly. A lot of the ingredients do come from the UK, I know that, but at the same time, you still got to get them in here. Let's look at the, the, the quarantine thing, Adam, because it emerged last evening now that the booking portal for mandatory quarantine will be closed for a few days. Like, did anybody come up with the simple proviso that, well, look, if the hotels fill up, what do we do then? Because it seems as if they didn't, like, the hotels are filling up, so what do we do then? Did anybody think of this two weeks ago? Well, this is a completely different mess, and that is largely of the government's own making. I mean, whatever about the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson issues, there's very little they can do about them but react. But this is something that the government has all takes all the blame for, really. So the booking system at the moment now is not taking any new bookings until Monday while they ramp up the capacity. Now, I have to point out, this is 
before countries like France and the US are added into it. So that hasn't even happened yet, and we're already overwhelmed. The initial capacity was about 650 rooms in a couple of hotels. From Monday, that will go up to 960, and then from the week after that, we're looking at 1,300 hotels. The Minister Donnelly says this issue is largely caused because of what he called walk-ins, which is airlines are supposed to stop a person who hasn't booked a mandatory mandatory quarantine hotel room They're supposed to stop them getting on the plane, but Mm. some airlines aren't, and they're just arriving in Ireland with no room booked, and the state just has to accommodate them. Now, we know from the start that this has got some pressure from Fine Gael, who didn't want some countries added in, and I think what you're seeing now is the result of a half-baked performative quarantine system that wasn't fully thought through. You have certainly got animosity, don't you, here? Like, in the real politic of it, you've got animosity between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, where Stephen Donnelly is pressing ahead with this relentlessly. He seems to have now got the backing he needs from the Attorney General to, for all the legal problems. But you, you certainly, Simon Coveney doesn't like this at all. No, no, he doesn't. And um, neither does it have to be pointed out. Thomas Leo Varadkar also spoke again against this. And it was only, I think, last week, maybe the week before, that they were raising capacity issues. Have we got the capacity to do this? When we're, when we're adding countries like France and the, the US, these massive countries that we know there's a lot of travel between Ireland and the, those countries, and they raised capacity queries, and we were told that, look, we can ramp up. I remember being at the press conference when they were launching this mandatory hotel quarantine system, and Minister Donnelly was asked the question, if we add more countries, how quickly can we do it? And he said that TIFCO, the company that are in charge of it, can ramp up this uh, capacity extremely quickly, was the word he used. And then we see a uh, the system completely log-jammed and blocked until Monday because they haven't got the capacity to ramp mm. up quick enough. Plus the fact that you've got people being bussed from Shannon Airport and Cork Airport up to Dublin. Now, I don't know about Shannon, but Tifco have, I think, at least one, if not two hotels within 20 miles of Cork Airport. Like, what's that nonsense about? Mm, that's a good question, and it's one I'm sure we'll, we'll hear the answer to today. I'm, I'm sure what we'll hear, see today now is after that meeting um, that we spoke about earlier between the Taoiseach Tanish, the Minister Ryan and the health officials, a full cabinet meeting will be held where Minister Donnelly will bring some proposals around hopefully the vaccine task or, or the vaccine situation and also an update on the quarantine situation. Now I'm sure that will be a difficult meeting for uh, for all involved because we know there is tensions in cabinet between these things. And then what I'd, I'd like to see today, which I'm hoping to see today, uh, is that uh, a press conference with the three leaders to outline um, clearly what the plan is for and then hopefully some sort of a a briefing, a technical briefing on what happens next when it comes to the vaccine situation and also the quarantine situation. Now obviously the opposition are jumping up and down here because magically when you're on the other side of the chamber you have all the answers but what are they suggesting? That's a good question yeah. Um, What Sinn Féin and most of the opposition, to be fair, have said from the start is that this quarantine system was a half measure that the government were only doing because um, the opinion polls showed that Irish people were backing this and Irish people wanted to see this happen. They wanted to see these tough travel measures so that we could uh, hopefully get back to normal a bit quicker or we can open up a bit quicker. So what you're going to see today is a lot of Sinn Féin and the Social Democrats and Labour saying that this quarantine measure never went quick enough, never went far enough, that it should have been all countries. Now, it'll be interesting to see what they say when we ask them, well, if you say it should have been all countries, what what are we going to do now when capacity is full and we've only got 32 or 33 countries on the list? Now, 
there is, I, I've seen a lot of uh, talk online about why can't we just, like, I mean, there's endless empty hotels across the country. Why can't we just add them all to this and then, you know, quarantine as many people as we want? That would be a logistical, a very big task to take on. And one that I'm not sure we'd have the ability to police because we've seen, even from the start, people are absconding from these mandatory yeah. quarantine hotels all over the place. Well, for the simple reason is we haven't given the soldiers the power to detain them, which is another failure. Anyway, Adam, I'll leave it there for today. We'll talk again, I have no doubt. Great spread uh, in the Irish Sun this morning. All the various issues covered. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line. That's Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. And on the, is it page what? I get to the pages right now. Pages four and five of the Sun today. It's called Vax to the Wall. They look at the hotel bookings. They look at the, how do we fix the, 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 um, the vaccination problem and all that. Very good piece. Very good piece. 1850 Yeah, I meant to mention this. I saw a lot of activity on all the social media channels last night. People talking about helicopters. Three helicopters flying in what seemed to be formation over the city. I also saw a tweet this morning from Palamoyne in Kilkenny who said they saw three helicopters flying in formation over Kilkenny. Um, for example, here's a Twitter, uh, a tweet rather. Three helicopters flew in sync over my estate heading for the airport. The noise and the sight of it. Uh, it looked like an Air Corps operation of some kind. Cork Airport had video footage on their Facebook page, number of Air Corps helicopters on the ground, but do we actually know what it was? Like, it's very unusual to see three helicopters in the sky at once anyway, let alone flying in, in formation. The noise alone would have brought you out the back door to have a look. But does anybody know? Can anybody share with us what exactly was going on? 1850 Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. Let me charge I'm ready to go. The Premier League Live Online. With now. Only pay for the games that matter to you. Your sport on your terms. With now. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, if anything comes out of that meeting that's being had with the vaccine team this morning, we'll certainly let you know. We'll pick it up on the news bulletins anyway. So Michal Martin meeting with the vaccine task force. The chair is Professor McCraw. They will, and I think Leo is there as well, and Eamon Ryan. They will discuss what happens now. How can we sort this out? Where do we go from here? And then there'll be a full cabinet meeting later on to discover, to, or to decide what's happening. Sheila says, I got a, a call yesterday to get my vaccine. I got my first jab, Pfizer, in the afternoon. I was never so happy to see a doctor or get an injection in my life. 
So there is some vaccination going on still. Thanks for that, Sheila. There is. Anyone who's getting a Pfizer or anybody who's getting a Moderna will still get their vaccine, their jab. But the thing is, you don't actually know what you're getting, as far as I know, until you actually get there. Because yesterday morning, people were calling us saying that they had an appointment at Parky Creeve yesterday morning and they went only to discover that A, they were due to get AstraZeneca, they didn't know what they were getting, and that the clinic was closed without any notice. Wait till I tell you later on what happened in New Jersey yesterday, how efficient it can be. What about all the people who smoke and the government allows that to happen with just a warning on the pack? Can't the government allow people to get AstraZeneca with just a warning on the pack? Well, that's where we're going with it. But it's all this abundance of caution. Buns are dancing all over the world uh, with caution. Like in the st- let's, let's call it a spade a spade here. In the States, six cases, admittedly one person is dead, and that's got to be taken into account, but six cases in seven million doses. We've got one woman, I think, in hospital, or I think she's gone home now, from the matter in Dublin. She's in her 40s. She got an AstraZeneca dose. She got one of these particular type of blood clots and she was treated because there is a treatment. She was treated. It'll take her a while to recover, but she will be okay. So we've only had one case here and tens of thousands of them given out already. Why isn't Pfizer and Moderna suspended? Hundreds have died in USA from both. People died in other countries as well. That's been answered by the Centre for Disease Control. Uh, people say they, they they died with the vaccine in them, not from the vaccine. These have been addressed, and it's this report of, of hundreds dying is just not true, according to the Center for Disease Control. Uh, it's not related to the vaccine. Uh, the U.S. program vaccinates the elderly and the very sick first as well. So you could be elderly and very sick. You get your vaccination because they want to protect you, obviously, and something else will kill you. And what's happening is the conspiracy theorists are saying, right, well, Mrs. Mrs. Murphy was 87. She got her uh, Pfizer vaccine three weeks ago, and now she's dead. Mrs. Murphy possibly died of the terminal cancer she was dying of. But that's been put down by the conspiracy nuts as a, as a vaccine death. And it's, it's BS. That's what it is. 1850 Carol put up a very passionate post on her Facebook and her Instagram in the last couple of days. You will have seen much enthusiasm, and if you were walking around the city centre in the last couple of days, you will have seen much work already going on in the pedestrianisation of, is it nearly 17 streets? The permanent pedestrianisation of nearly 17 streets, so that we can outdoor trade and we can have restaurants in the outside and pubs in the outside and just generally pedestrianise our our centre island, which a lot of people have wanted for years. There's a lot of people out there been welcoming this work, people taking photographs and saying, isn't it great to see it done? Great to see it happening so quickly. Like Pembroke Street has been transformed in, in two days. But Carol put up a very passionate post because, Carol, this has a very serious effect on your ability to get around. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? I'm great altogether. How are you? Good, love, lovely to be back on again. Um, it, it seems like it's 12 months and we're, we're still going around the roundabout with this issue. Mm. Um, first, it was suggested because of COVID and the reopening up of the city, 
And I suppose it, it first took to my notice because of the pedestrianisation of Pembroke Street, which is a street dedicated to disabled drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose I had been trying, we had been trying to get in contact with the council and I offered to be part of their access um, group, but I don't know who they are, um, to kind of just advise them because for a lot of people with disabilities and even senior citizens, our cars are our legs. And we feel by this pedestrianisation, unless um, either disabled parking bays are left alone or they're re-put in a locality near to town um, accessible. So what they did do was they put a few on St. Mal, but the curbs on St. Mal are very bad for people in wheelchairs. So there's not a hope of them coming out of their car and being able to get up onto the footpath. And another danger to the side they put them on as well is it's the main road. So if you're trying to get into your wheelchair and you're crossing a main road, it's just not very accessible and sufficient for people with disabilities. Mm. And Academy Street and um, Pembroke Street, as I said, were two of the main streets um, allocated for people with disabilities. But if you can recall, they were um, perfectly done because they were lovely constructed. The road was equal with the path mm. and um, it was just perfect and they were very roomy. Mm. So, About how many spaces are gone out of Pembroke Street, Carol? Um, about five or six. And then you see when they announced two years ago the the pedestrianisation of Patrick Street, you know, for certain hours of the day, mm. um, like... As I said before, we're a one-track city, so if I come down Academy Street and there's no parking, how can I get out of Academy Street? The only way I can go out is coming onto Patrick Street. And that, like, if you came across a guard, it, it, you weren't meant to be driving on Patrick Street, if, that, if mm. that makes sense. But it was the only way of us getting out of Academy Street mm. because it's hard to see from the, the top of that street if there's a space available. I remember at the time there was a debate that whether they would exempt people with the blue badge from the Panaban. Did that ever happen, as it was called? Did that ever happen? No, I think people just started driving down it eventually. Like, they let it open to taxis and buses. And to be honest, I had to go down it. But my solution would have been, um, even if they gave us a section of the road, so if I came down Academy Street, and there's a side street by Dunn that would allow me even that bit of the road to circle back up and get back out mm. of the, the the trap I was in. But it never came about. You see, they make all these suggestions, but they never actually put them in place. And that's what frustrates us so much. So I was on to your producer yesterday. And now they're after pedestrianising the side street by Bishop Lucy Park as well. So there's 17 streets. Jockey Street, so, yeah. So if I want to go to Cork City Library, they, they, there was disabled parking spaces down that street. I can't find parking anywhere near Cork um, City Library. And, and you know, it's, it's meant like we preach social inclusion. We preach we're all in this together. But the disability community always feel like the forgotten community. And it's the same with even the senior citizens, you know. Um, their pedestrianises the same Peter and Paul Street. Um, but, like, there's people still go to Mass. How are they meant to get to them churches in town if the disabled parking is gone from outside it? Um, and if there's no access, you have to walk it. 
So um, while it's a lovely idea and I'm not against pedestrianisation whatsoever, but it needs to work for everybody. Carol, I know that you actually, I mean, you can walk, but your, your disability means that your mobility is limited. Like, how far can you realistically go in, um, in any kind of comfort? It, it depends. It depends on, number one, the weather, because it's arthritis. It depends on the day. So you might see me and I might be buzzing today and have lots of energy. Um, you might see me tomorrow and I can only take a few steps. So, you know, like I follow you on Instagram and you take the bus to work, yeah. which is lovely. But imagine if you were crippled in arthritis from the neck down and you were on crutches or you were in a wheelchair, how easy would that journey be for you? Yeah. People will say, oh, Carol, we'll just use a multi-storey car park. Um, that's another issue for me. And I suppose one that I've been trying to make the council understand as well. Um, my condition is restricted growth. Yeah. So my arms, that means my long bones, which are my legs and arms are short, and that's what makes me petite and smaller than everyone else. So I'm actually a, a danger trying to get the ticket out of the machine to lift that barrier because I have to hang out of the car, balance my leg on the brake so it won't roll back, and try to get the ticket out of the, the machine. That's so hazardous for you. Bar- and then coming out, if you know, if I'm on my own, the validating machines are up very high. So I'm waiting around for someone to help me to validate the ticket. And then I have the same problem coming out because you have to put the ticket in the machine to to lift um, the bar to get back out. So um, that's how even street parking is more important to me because, you know, I can't access the car parks and I can't have someone with me all the time because I want to be independent and I love my city like everybody else. So I might want to come in and have a coffee and embrace Bishop Lucy Park. You know, I I used to love walking around when I can walk around on a Saturday and listen to the buskers. But it was just, it was lovely to know that my car was always nearby because my joints can go from under me at the click of a finger. So I never wander straight um, far from the, from my parking area anyhow and it was always reassurance to know that I didn't have to walk miles to get back to my car if I was in the city centre, you know. And I've talked to a lot of kind of people with disabilities and they feel like they won't be able to go to the city. They feel so disheartened by it, you know. And the council promised that they would make the path better on um, South Mall, um, but we're 12 months on now and we haven't seen any difference. And as someone said to me, they, they can instantly put new bike lanes in and three-tier plant pots that are making the city look pretty. And um, they, they can't fix these footpaths to make the disabled parking bays um, accessible for everybody, you know. And Do you know the committee that sits to, to make these plans for our city, Carol? Is there anybody from your community, as it were, sitting on that committee? No, no. And I did email David Joyce, who is the head of this project, and I asked him, I said, I will come in, I'll volunteer my time, or who's in this committee that I can contact? Because I do a lot of um, talks in UCC with, like, architects and engineering students hoping that they're the future. And if you can educate and open people's eyes then when they're building or they're planning these things, that they will remember the talk that I gave them in UCC. So I'm well used to doing all that. And 
like I said, I offer to volunteer my time anytime to anyone um, and other people like me because I'm one disability, but like you have visually impaired people, street furniture is very hazardous for them, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always believe we can live in a world where we design. It it doesn't mean that I we, we don't have to pedestrianise it. Um, areas, but if it's if we all work together, what yeah. a magical city it can be! And imagine even for tourists coming in, because I was in Yall yesterday, and I compliment them on the number of disabled parking spaces they have in a little town. Good and for if them. you can, yeah, if you can have that many in a little town, why can't you have that many in in our city? Because you're encouraging people, you know. And you know the thing is, um, people think that. Um, disability, you're born with it. You don't have to be born with a disability. It can come on anyone. And that's what the council needs to understand. You could have an accident in work. You could have an illness as you're older. And we need to think forward that way because there's no point investing all this money and then later thinking, oh, we need to reinvest more because we need to adapt it. Why can't we do it now and get it right? And then another thing that disheartened me, PJ, is in that 12 months, because of our weather, um, the streets were idle for most part of it, you know. And, you know, with reference to even if they had left Pembroke Street alone, because it's only half a street, they had Cook Street, they had Marlborough Street, yeah. they had friends. Like, there's no, loads of side streets that it did work for. And all we were asking was, please don't touch Pembroke Street, yeah. you know. And straight away, yeah. that's the first one they, they, they yeah. barreled in on top yeah. of. Carol, I'm going to leave it there for today. As always, you make your point passionately and clearly. Uh, I wish the council would listen to people like you. I think one of the reasons that you're not invited in to make these presentations is that they'd be afraid of their living life or what you might tell them. But that's just me being a bit biased because we get on, you and me. Thanks, Carol. 1850 715 Councillor McNugent says, Fair play to Carol for continuing raising access issues. It needs to be addressed by the City Council as pedestrianisation continues. Another caller says, I don't know about the issues faced by the disabled, but as the council can't even lay footpaths that are safe to use in the wet, I wouldn't hold out much hope for their concerns. Yes, there are parts of the footpath up and down the two sides of Patrick Street and first drop of rain and they're like an ice rink still. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. The 5K restrictions have finally been lifted, and Cork is your oyster. So, wherever you're headed, make sure you're with me on the big drive home for all the latest in Cork traffic. I've got the biggest showbiz stories, and as always, the best music mix. I'll talk to you weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. The big drive home. Let's talk business with Ford Lease. Hassle free vehicle leasing. Ford Lease to find out more. The Big Drive Home. On Cork's 96 FM. Statement in from military. Oglin Heron currently conducting a routine military exercise in Cork. This involves the use of a number of defence forces assets, including several aircraft, which may well explain the synced three helicopters that people saw last night. Thanks for that military statement brought into us this morning.
1850 715996. That's a residence association along the proposed route of a high voltage underground cable. They say they're prepared to go to court, to the High Court, or further to prevent this underground cable from being laid. They're along a section of land. I'm reading here from the examiner where Shona Reardon has the story. Airgrid are using this uh, section of land to lay underground cables. It's around Churchtown uh, in North Cork. Catherine Douglas is one of the local residents. Catherine, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Happy to do so. What, what is the What is the problem here? Um, the problem, I suppose, there's a number of problems, really. The, the Celtic interconnector, as you know, is one of the, probably, you know, is, is, it's one of the largest interconnector projects in the world. Um, and the route is to come from France to into Cork and uh, into Yall and come up along, as you say, um, a tiny road in where we live, is Churchtown, uh, Roxburgh area, which is about two miles outside Middleton. It's an underground cable of 700 megawatts. So it's a very, very large power producing cable. Um, And while underground is seen as a safe option, and it certainly is in lots of cases, the difficulty here that we have is the fact of the proximity to housing. The road that we're living on is a really, really narrow, really narrow road with houses built right on the side of it. Mm. So we are very, very close to what will be um, a cable producing a lot of EMF emissions. So will this so be buried literally? I mean, how far from your home, Catherine, is this going to be? Um, we will be closer than 10 metres to this cable and some other um, uh, residents will be even closer than that. Now, some will be farther away, it just depends. Now, when you mention EMS, the problem that we're having, and we're having this in a lot of media, we're having this in terms of discussions with Airgrid, uh, people tend to see you as a tinfoil hatter, as a, a conspiracy theorist. Um, there's a, if we had a smoking gun, an EMS saying, look, this absolutely causes cancer, then we wouldn't even be having this discussion. Mm. The problem is that the evidence and even Airgrid on their website have said that there is they can't rule in or out the possibility of a causal link, particularly with childhood leukemias. Mm. And both in the last few years... But there are already, let's face it, Catherine, and mm-hmm. I'm aware of the EMF situation, mm-hmm. and the more you read, the more confusing it gets because mm-hmm. no one will mm-hmm. tell you it's 100% safe, but no exactly. one will tell you it's dangerous either. And, and that is the exactly. issue because EMF is just, it's just physics. It's wherever electricity flows, you, you exactly. can get EMF. But, but, but here's the thing. There are hundreds of kilometers of cables mm-hmm. buried under the ground all over the country now, and mm-hmm. many of them in residential areas already. There are, PJ, but this is a 700 megawatt. It's one of the the strongest cables that will be in the whole of Ireland. And even, um, I suppose, because undergrounding is is relatively new in Ireland because a lot of, um, you know, ESB or, or kind of you know, electrical supplies would have been put up in pylons. So what you're saying is true, there are cables, but this is a different type of cable in the sense of the actual power being produced. And I totally agree with you. If you get into it, you can go down the rabbit hole. The problem that we're having, as I say, is the fact that even on their, you know, AirGrid's website, we say the vertical emissions come off 
um, these underground cables is extremely high when you're mm. directly over the cable, okay? Yeah. Now, we have no option on this road but to be directly over the cable because we yeah. have to drive that route every day. We have to walk that route every day. Yeah. There's no footpath. It's also things. basic physics, though, isn't it, Catherine, that, that, that you're, uh-huh. you're, you're talking to me on a mobile phone. Like, there's yes. more radiation from that mobile phone going in your ear right now. There is, PJ, and this is what we're hearing as well from AirGrid. But the, diff- the difference there is the fact that I'm on the mobile phone to you and then I'm gone from the mobile phone. This is going to be outside. We have the Earth's natural EMF, which it does produce. We have already, as you say, lots of electronic cables. We live in a very, uh, you know, electrified world. Let's face it, everybody does. And absolutely, mm. there's, there's EMF coming off those. The difference here is the fact that these are long-term, low-level yes. emissions on top of all of that. Like the, w- of- the, the World Health Organization says that mm-hmm. if, and they say if, mm-hmm. if there is an effect, then it mm-hmm. is extremely small. Yes, they do. But they, they, they also say that there, they, there is no evidence either way in terms of that. They say there could be a causal link. And this is the thing that we're coming back to here for this. And also the fact that there are studies now, and there have been several peer-reviewed studies, I suppose, since their grid have, we'll say, done undergrounding projects, we'll say, in Rush in 2012. Mm. There's a lot more peer-reviewed studies coming on where epidemiological evidence, and the WHO have on their website as well, yeah. that childhood leukemia is associated with exposure to residential power frequency kind of above mm. 0.3, 0.4. Yeah, that's, that's technical. You're okay. going to take all this technical <laughs> stuff into court, it aren't is. you? Well, you see, this is the thing, PJ. Look, I'm, I, I kind of sent this into you as a mother. There's a lot of mothers on this road. There's a lot of elderly people on this road. There's people with, you know, the same issues that everybody else has in terms of fatigue from COVID, uh, lockdown. There's health issues on this road, right? We are hoping not for it to get this far. If we have to go that way, we will get that way. But we are really appealing because the thing that we're trying to push here is there is what's called a precautionary principle um, where even the ESB themselves in a document in 2017 have said, look, if we're putting in future power lines and we're talking about this power line is going to be in the ground for 60 years okay so we have the opportunity to do this right and to root it away they're saying as well from areas of heavily populated mm-hmm. residences because I suppose and, and that's, and that's the issue you're saying look put, put it down we're not opposed to it but not, not 10 metres from my front door the problem Absolutely. the problem is Catherine no matter where you put it someone is going to have a problem with it listen we take it that you are going to pursue this as far as you need to go and, and good luck with it, whatever way it goes for you. Thanks for being with us on the opinion line. That's the case that Catherine makes for the residents up there in Churchtown, which of course is in East Cork, not North Cork. Slip of the tongue before anyone starts looking for me fired, because they will. Joking. 1850-715-996. Airgrid did issue a statement where they said, uh, to, and we asked them for one, they said they'd carried out extensive consultation and engagement with stakeholders, that they had two online meetings recently with local residents just in March to listen to and respond to their concerns. They said they would undertake a review of the route. That review has now been completed and concludes that the Churchtown Road route is the best performing Options. Also, they referred to the radiation fears, the interference fears, all of that. They they say it is confirmed that levels arising in the area will be well below 
established international guidelines. That is the statement from Airgrid as of now. Most unusual case in the Circuit Criminal Court yesterday. The Circuit Criminal Court back sitting now for its spring sessions and across it is our senior news correspondent Fiona Corkin who will join me in just a sec. This is a brilliant story. The story, Fiona, of a Cork landlord who evicted tenants for setting up a cannabis grow house and then took it over himself. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. That's right, Jess. This was a case that was before Cork Circuit Criminal Court. It first came to the court last February and it was John Sheehan, a 48-year-old man who lives just outside Charleville in a place called Ardlass. And we heard that he had rented out his house to um, a number of Eastern Europeans and he discovered that they had set up a cannabis grow house at the property and he evicted them and he burned the plants that had been growing there. And sometime later, he was a approached by a man who offered him €5,000 to set it up again. And he was, he said, he told Gardaí that he was under financial pressure at the time. So he he went about the enterprise himself and Gardaí um, searched the house in October 2019 and discovered uh, what was described as a sophisticated grow house um, involving lights and a watering system. And they discovered 23 mature cannabis plants that had a street value of just over 18,000 euro. And they also discovered a quantity of cannabis herb worth 5,000 euro. And John Sheehan told Gardaí that this, um, the crops that they found was his, uh, or the plants that they found were, they, that was part of his second crop that he had already sold a first crop and had made 5,000 euro on that and Judge Sean O'Donovan when it came before him in February said that he didn't think that it was right that he would make a profit that Sean Sheehan would have made a profit from this so he said that if he managed to raise 5,000 euro um, that could be donated to a charity that he would impose a suspended sentence right. and that was, that's what happened yesterday he came to court and he handed over 5,000 euro and the nomination charity was the Drug Rehabilitation Centre Tabor Lodge which is just outside Manan Bridge in Cork and Judge Sean O'Donovan said that he believed that this was a worthy charity uh, to receive this donation and he imposed an 18 month suspended prison sentence on John Sheehan um, so yeah it was um, an interesting one that he had evicted the people for setting up the, the grow house and then he continued it himself and uh, Judge Sean O'Donovan said last um, February uh, when he when the case came before him he said was it the way he objected to foreign direct investment he throws out the developer and then takes over the business himself (laughs) so um, it was a very unusual situation but um, yeah this happened outside uh, Charleville and he was caught then in in 2019. All right, and he's got a two years suspended sentence after he managed to raise, thank you Fiona Fiona Corkin our senior news correspondent he managed to raise five grand which he donated to Tabor Lodge and as a result of which, Sean O'Donovan gave him a two-year suspended sentence. He evicts his tenants for setting up a grow house, and then he <laughs> he takes it over himself. Only in Ireland, lads. In fact, I'd nearly go so far as to say only in Cork would you have the sheer brazenness <laughs> to try it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 
Did you miss anything in our first hour this morning? Anything from that first hour you'd like to hear again? Well, you can do so when our podcast goes live in mid-afternoon. In around 2 to 3 p.m., podcast goes up to all of your various platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. And if you just subscribe to us, you'll get the show every afternoon, completely free of charge. Good morning. Some responses to the story there from Churchtown and their objections to the cable underground. John says picketing is the answer. Take it from the water campaign. It wasn't the protests or representations did the trick. It was the picketing. But obviously, you would also want to check the law as to when and where you can picket. Because you can't just lob a picket in the middle of a country road. Every single street, this is another message, every single street in Cork City has cables under the ground. Some of them go back to the last century. And look, the World Health Organization says that if, and it's an if, if there is a risk from cables like this, running under the ground, it is extremely small. And you're probably at more risk, if you believe in these things, you're at more risk from the mobile phone up against your lug hole or from the Wi-Fi that's carrying your internet around the house or from the microwave that you heat up your dinner in. You know, you're probably more at risk from those things than you are from a power cable outside your front door. That, that's what the science would appear to be saying. But look, these people are passionate about it and they want it moved. They don't want it blocked. They want it put it somewhere else. I don't want it outside my front gate, is what they're effectively saying. They are very concerned though, to be fair. They are, and you you got, I've talked to so many of these people over the years, these groups over the years, when they have a concern, it's a serious concern, they hold it passionately. And they're perfectly entitled to do that and we'll follow it and see where it goes. On vaccines, good morning PJ, anyone know is it a text or a phone call or an email that you get when it's time for your vaccine? It, it Jeff just depends on, on what arm of the system is organising your vaccine. Uh, still people angry about the disappointment of yesterday. And I'll remind you later of uh, a, a buddy in Hoboken in New Jersey and what happened with him yesterday would put our system just to absolute shame. Absolute shame. 1850 Other people saying as well with the... Uh, streets and the disability access and parking spaces. They also would want to open more public toilets, says a caller. There were 30 people queuing for a public loo in Fitzgerald's Park on Saturday. How is this acceptable? 185715996. There's a new movement in the UK of women who are returning to the home rather than returning to the workforce. Alina Kate Pettit is the author and founder of the Darling Academy, and she proposes the traditional housewife movement. Alina, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. This is an unusual read that I had this morning. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean by traditional housewife? Well, I think the reason why we want to differentiate ourselves as traditional is because the, uh, the actual housewife hasn't had positive representation in the media for a long time. We've long been seen as desperate or miserable and can't wait to get away from our house and our children. And, you know, think of all the shows, for example, even the soap operas. There were no 
happy housewives. So we are women who just take the role as housewife really seriously, as much as we would a career. So we're really proud of what we do. We kind of, a lot of us hold on to traditional values, traditional family values, and that's our driving force. Mm. You, you had a high-flying job and you, and you gave it all up for this. Yes. I why? why? What, what attracted you to, to the, 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 if you like, the traditional housewife role? Well, I, I think I'd always wanted to be a housewife, but growing up in kind of like the 90s girl power era, there was a lot of talk about going out and smashing those glass ceilings, and I just felt swept along with the tide, really. I did mention it a few times to, you know, adults, um, teachers. I wanted to be a housewife, and they're like, oh, come on, you've got to have greater ambitions than that. So I went out and had that career, but there was always this niggling feeling. And then I'm sure many women will um, understand when you actually have your first child, everything changes. Um, some women do want to return to their careers, but many of us do want to stay in the home. And unfortunately, with the cost of living now, it's it, it's quite unaffordable for mm. many people. Mm. Um, so I was finally where I had my ambitions all those years. So it's not, you know, I didn't throw anything away. I think I gained my, my dream eventually. Mm. And, and you married a man who shames, shares the same values as you do. So that kind of helped. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely helped. And I think this is the problem that a lot of women, I, I get emails daily, um, you know, dozens of emails from women all over the world. And I think because we don't really talk about traditional values anymore, family values when we're dating, if you think about when you first meet someone, they go, what do you do expecting to talk about work? So the focus has been so much on career of late that we don't have these conversations really like when we get married, What's that going to look like? Do you want to stay home? Do I want to stay home? Um, so I'm one of the lucky ones, and I found a, a man with traditional values in that sense. So, um, If I was to ask you to write out your job description, yes, what would it be? Well, I'm the CEO of our home. You know, like my, my husband's kind of the CFO. He's the one that kind of, you know, makes sure that the bills are paid and he concentrates on his career and making sure that we stay afloat financially. But the day to day running of the household, that's wholly my responsibility. I'm not, people think that housewives are bored. I've never been busier in my entire life and I don't get holidays. I don't, you know, get to switch off at five o'clock. So, I'm constantly busy. I'm running a home. And people used to employ women to do this. If we think back to the days where people used to hire help, a woman would be paid to do it and that would be seen as her career and she had a job and she was celebrated for that. So that's what I do. I run a home. It's incredibly busy. Mm. Is there a financial loss to you? Because obviously you, 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 don't, you don't earn outside the home. So is there a financial loss to your family? Well, I might not earn outside the home, but I earn inside the home. And many women do, actually. They take on, I suppose we call them side hustles. To be a traditional housewife doesn't mean that you don't earn money. You just earn it in different ways. And also that income is not relied upon. There's no losses as well, because my husband's income is our income. You know, the money he earns, it's not his money and my money. There's no separation. We're married. That's our you know, our pot of money to, to run our life from. Mm, but um, do you have money of your own? 
Yes, of course. I, yeah. well, of my own. Things that I want to spend it on for myself. Yes, of course, as does my husband. Mm. Um, but in many ways, I'm actually saving us money because we're not running, you know, two, car, two cars. I'm not commuting. Even things like coffees or lunches stolen on a, a, a lunch hour add up. I can do things like batch cooking. I've got the time to kind of save money where applicable. We actually costed it up. If I returned to work, I would only be bringing in an extra two or three hundred pounds a month for us because of the cost of childcare, the cost of commuting, obviously being taxed. So it's kind of like weighing up that option. Do I want that extra two hundred pounds to spend on myself and what am I going to spend it on? I don't know, getting my nails done. I can do those myself. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There are some changes that you have to make. And unfortunately some people do not have this choice because the cost of living yeah. is so high, which is yeah. Like in some ways, that 200 or the 300 quid a month, like that could pay a gas or an electricity bill for some people. It could do. It could do. Or I can, you know, I mean, my husband's earning potential is great, far greater than mine. And often this works in reverse. I've got kind of, you know, women who are the breadwinners and their husbands stay home. They have a very traditional model. It's just in the reverse. So what I can do is I can free up his time because he's not having to come home or leaving work at four o'clock to collect the children um, because I can't get out of a meeting, for example. It, it I'm supporting his career as well, you know, like I can help him with his own potential and he could make that much mm. faster than I can. That's just our personal circumstances, of course. Yeah, you do, you do run something called the Darling Academy. Um, what's yes, that? I do. So it's, it's a blog. Um, I've also authored two books, Ladies Like Us and English Etiquette, and they both focus on traditional values. Um, and it, it's essentially just my writing. Um, you know, I've written two books. They're self-published. Sales from those kind of help our family as well. But they, they come into the family account. It's not my money, you know. Um, but the Darling Academy is essentially a support for women who stay home because no one talks about it. They all ask, you know, a woman kind of as soon as their child reaches about three or four school age, they go, so when are you going to go back to work? It's not actually posed to them as a choice. It's this is what everyone does. When are you going to go back? And so many women feel pressured to go back to work, but they don't want to. They really want to stay home with their children. They don't want other people raising their children if mm. they can avoid it. So it's just, you know, articles. I've got a great Facebook group of women all over the world who, who share these values. And it's a place for us to talk because we get shut down quite a lot. Mm. The, the um, Darling Academy... Uh, one of its, its its kind of central premise is to, and I quote here from an article I'm reading, um, embrace a feminine, grace-filled and elegant lifestyle. What does that mean? Well, this is the other arm. I've, I've also written a book on etiquette and just being... Grace is essentially stepping outside, living a very kind of considered life. So rather than being caught up in the rat race and caught up in your emotions and things like that, you step back and you think, what do I want for my life? How do I want to approach my life? Do I want to be calm and graceful and kind and considerate? Or do I want to kind of be harried? This is how I felt, honestly, when I was working. I just felt like I was being swept up in the world and um, very emotional, very tired because come on, the working environment can sometimes, you, sometimes you're surrounded with people that you don't necessarily like and you, it, it sometimes feels like a battlefield. <laughs> uh, again, I, I also read about you that, and I'm quoting, um, 
you always make an effort to fix your clothes and your lipstick for when your husband gets home. You say that <laughs> tracksuits and greasy hair isn't a good look. Now, there are women all over Cork City and County listening to this programme who have lived in their tracksuits because they're working yeah. from home and they've been at home for the last 12 months and they're screaming at you saying, how dare oh, you? I know, but PJ, that's something that you read about me, not something that I wrote myself. I'm actually here in my gym clothes at the moment because I'm going to get on the treadmill after this, you know. Yeah, right, um, right. So that, that's, this, this is what I mean about this movement. People take it, they get offended by it, and they spin it into fake news. It's really, it, it's about women just slowing down and listening to kind of their inner voice and saying, do I really want this life or do I want to spend it at home with my children and my husband and, and make a home? Rather than trying to squeeze those into the, you know, these twilight hours. No wonder taking care of a home is seen as being stressful. It's because we come home and we have a second shift, essentially. So, yeah, you read that about me. You didn't read that I wrote that. Yeah, it's true. No, it's, 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 it's there in quotes. You say tracksuits and greasy hair aren't a good look for wives. Well, uh, this is the other thing as well. This is, this is the other thing. We, we do need to make an effort for our spouses. So this is not often talked about. It, okay. The moment you say a woman should make an effort for her husband, we, ah, scorn, scorn. People are, are irate. However, the messaging for decades has been about, men, you need to romance your wives. You need to bring her flowers. Why is it one-sided? Why is it the men have to make the effort and the wives don't? It's a two-way street. So you, I think you do. I think you should make an effort for your spouse as much as he makes an effort for you. Right. That's that's personal opinion, but I do think that that would go a long way to kind of keeping the spark alive in your marriage. Yeah. Alana, it's been a fascinating, or Alina, it's been a fascinating uh, conversation. Uh, Thank you. uh, And uh, we'll we'll see what our listeners think. (laughs) Thank you. It'll be interesting. (laughs) It will. Thanks very much. Alina Pettit, uh, the founder of the Darling Academy. Uh, I'm reading from a a lifestyle article on heart.co.uk, but there are plenty more. The, her own Darling Academy website, you can, she, she says, I'd love to invite you to join the apron-clad army. I'm quoting that. That's, that's her own thing. I don't know. I, I, I can't somehow see, and she's 34, I can't somehow see the 34-year-old women of Cork really loving this too much. But I... I also open to correction. Kate says childcare and the price of housing are the two big problems with the housewife versus career decision. You need two jobs to afford a house. You need childcare to have a job. There's no answer that gives people real choice. Well, you see, she sees housewife, Kate, as her career. Not a career choice. She sees housewife as her career, which is, which is interesting. I'd love to know what you think. And if you agree with Alina... And you'd love to do this. You'd love to not go back to work after all of this madness comes to an end. And you'd prefer to stay at home and look after the children and mind the house and, you know, literally manage the home while your other half goes out and does the work and brings in the money. If you'd, if you'd like to do that, I'd be particularly fascinated to hear from you. 1850. I'm a bit older. I I grew up in that kind of a of a house where where my mother's job was, 
you know, she ran the home while my dad went out and worked. She ran the home, she minded the home, she looked after us, she cooked, she cleaned. She did all those things, minding the house, minding the home. That was a traditional value back then. So Alina and her people, her followers, want to go back to that, to what our mothers did. 1850-715-996. Now, before I go to a break, Sean contacted the Opinion Line yesterday because he's trying to find some people who helped your parents. Is it, Sean? Good morning. Uh, that's right. Uh, my mum and dad went to town um, for an appointment. And uh, unfortunately, the car conked, so I didn't go with them. But um, basically, they got a spin to town and they left their neighbour's car and they crossed uh, from Lavis Key. Well, from one side of Lavis Key to the other. So uh, unfortunately, they, they had a fall. And uh, I did it wasn't too bad, but it was a bit dangerous and in a nasty spot. So um, as far as I know... Two ladies came to their assistance, and I'd just like to say, Grimmel Margot. Did, so did, did they, did they both fall together, Sean? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, but it, it wasn't a serious fall, but it was just, you know, one of those things that just happened. Um, they f- fell probably f- from the step, you know, they probably just left the step. Right. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I suppose one of them dragged the other down. They must have just collided with each other and just fell. It's like a you know, soccer match or something. Yeah, you know? no, the reason, I'm, the reason I wanted to describe it a little bit is because obviously you want, you're trying to contact the person that came to help and maybe maybe if we jog their memory of what happened. So I think right. your yeah. mum kind of missed her footing, did she? That's right. So um, I suppose that they were, they were after leaving our house close to, close to the college and uh, they went into town with a neighbour. So it was about half past two, roughly. Their appointment was for about half past two. So it was on Monday at half past two. And they were going uh, into Egan's, were they? Uh, next to that, there's a, a, a nice specialist. The optician, yeah. There, so. Egan's, yeah. Yeah, so they were going in there. So it was about half past two, roughly. It was 25 past, 20 past two. And um, they just left, um, not that side, the other side of Davis Key, so just across the road. They, didn't, they decided they'd cross there until about the... I suppose, they, they got a lift and they got dropped on the other side of the road. That's right, yeah. So the person that they dropped them off, uh, gone away, it's probably a good thing away because, you know, you, you get an awful fright and yeah. they just fell to the, to the ground. Um they were just lucky, I think, that there wasn't a bus coming or something, you know? Yes, absolutely, um, absolutely. So, and what, 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 what do they remember about the person who came to their assistance? Someone stopped their car, did they? That's right, two ladies came to their assistance. One, one person, as far as you know, left the car and uh, to come towards them, and another lady, I think, was probably a pedestrian, but I'm not sure, and came to their assistance. So all I want to do really is just to say, you know, thanks very much to those two people, and maybe they could get in contact with somebody. Um, and I could get a present or something, you know. Ah, well, I mean, you know, people who do this generally don't expect thanks for it. They're just being kind but citizens. I, I, but you'd like I, to find out who they are to thank them properly anyway. Yeah, I think, I think uh, one of the ladies actually left our car in traffic, and I presume she was right. You know, actually, you know, kind of, if you're leaving your car and the car is running, and, you know, they could, I don't know if the children in the car or not. But. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I don't feel, you know, making it too dramatic, but I mean, it just sounds to be as if, you know, the person really kind of made a decision to go for it, you know. Okay. All right. Listen, appreciate the call, and we'll see if we can find those people. Sean O'Lee, thank you very much. Good. So, Monday afternoon, 
round the half past two mark near Egan's down there on Levitt's Key. A couple, I suppose you could say, are elderly, getting onto the pavement to go into Egan's. We think that the lady, his mum, missed her footing and staggered and grabbed a hold of, as you would do, her husband who was walking with her and as a result of which the two of them lost their balance and fell off the pavement. There was a car in the street. That car stopped and a woman got out of it to see were they all right and what Sean thinks is a pedestrian also passing in the area came to see was his parents okay. And they just they are, they're fine. He just wants to thank whoever it was that came to their assistance. So if you can remember that. Uh, or if, did, did anyone come home to you and say, do you know what I saw in town today? Don't happen to me. Let them know we're, we're looking for them. Let them know we'd like to put them in touch with Sean. He just wants to say, good of Mila Mahagriff. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. With words by Evan Boland and directed by Gary Hines, Boland's Journey of a Poet is a new theatrical production exploring the mind and imagination of one of Ireland's great poets. Performed by Siobhan Cullen, this world premiere production can be live-streamed from Everyone Cork's website on Thursday, April 22nd to 24th. The Barras of Clonakilty have joined with Declan O'Rourke ahead of his newest release, Arrivals. The Barras and Declan will bring you his first live concert in almost two years in a globally live-streamed event from Ireland's National Abbey Theatre. You can find out more at thebarra.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live-streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's night. 96 FM. I loved listening to Elena. I am a stay-at-home mum for nearly 40 years. Happy out. I think we should be appreciated a lot more. Thanks, PJ. But Mary Jane is losing the will to live over on the Twitter machine listening to Elena. She's entitled to think what she wants. I just found it a very interesting conversation. I wouldn't be coming down on either side. Oh, I'd be afraid of my life to come down on either side, so I would. 1850-715-996, bring us some of those in a while. You might not have seen this in passing, and then you might. The death was announced yesterday of a man called Galen Weston. Who? Galen Weston was a businessman, uh, a very important and wealthy businessman. In fact, a seriously wealthy businessman. Uh, his family topped the Sunday Times rich list for the last 12 years, 11.8 billion is the wealth we're talking about here. But he, he helped to build a food and retail network uh, across two continents, including the company that owns Brown Thomas and Arnott's. And they're owned by, believe it or not, if you never heard before, Selfridges. Yes, Selfridges. They own Brown Thomas and they own Arnott's. He also uh, has a majority shareholding, or at least his family does, in associated British foods. I always found this very strange. 
Associated British Foods are the owners of Pennies or Primark. So Associated British, a food retailer, actually owns Pennies. But he was a majority shareholder in Associated British Foods. He he founded that company, actually. Uh, Arthur Ryan, of course, the, the man who set up Pennies. Arthur Ryan died last year. He was in his 80s. But Galen Weston passed away uh, in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. In 1983, he hit the headlines because the IRA were plotting to kidnap him. But uh, the cops, with some good police work, prevented that from happening. He was away, uh, and the, the guards... Uh, mounted an operation around his home and foiled that little operation. But reading about his death brought this particular tune into my mind. If you've never seen this show, I strongly recommend that you try to get it. It's called Mr. Selfridge. There's four seasons of it. It just reminded me that Selfridges, founded by Gordon Harry Selfridge, Owns Brown Thomas and Arnott's and was co owned by Galen Weston. So you might say that Galen Weston was Ireland's Mr. Selfridge. Great show if you can find it. Apparently, Pennies did used to sell food. I don't ever remember it, but they did. Apparently, sold a small range of food and they sometimes still do sell snacks. And I'm trying to remember the last time. I was in a big Primark in the UK and I was in a huge one. One of the biggest, Pennies is in Cabo Roy uh, in Spain, well in Lizenia, the big Lizenia shopping centre there, the big boulevard. There's a massive Pennies in there, or Primark as they call it over there. Uh, I think there's a little bit of snackery, you know, some water and some sandwiches and stuff going on there, all right. And I remember being in a massive one in uh, in London. There's a huge one on, on Oxford Street, <laughs> I was going to London the Christmas before last and I spilled coffee on the plane down my shirt and I had to get a clean shirt and I went in. Where would you go? Only pennies for a clean shirt. Anyway, that's how I got there. But there was on the bottom floor, just inside the corner, a little bit of snackery and that kind of stuff. So there's the connection. I'd forgotten that. 1850 715 Here's one. Um, getting back to the... Uh, Vaccines and mandatory quarantine. And you'll have seen there's a few stories in the news this morning where people are going to court now saying, well, I'm fully vaccinated. I shouldn't have to go into mandatory quarantine. And you can kind of agree with them, can you not? You know, if you've been fully vaccinated, in other words, if you've had your two doses and you're the sufficient amount of time after your second dose, which they say is two weeks, you can be considered to be fully vaccinated. Like, why on earth would you need to go into mandatory quarantine for two weeks? But of course, we've no way of proving. So someone can rock up to the Crown Plaza and say, well, I'm not going in here. I have had two vaccines. How are we supposed to prove it? Therein lies a problem. Now, Billy Kelleher, MEP, has said vaccinated people must be exempt from mandatory hotel quarantine if the green digital cert is to be of any use. But at the moment, we've no way of knowing. So, sorry, sunshine. Coming in, well, there you go. There's the hotel. If you can prove you've had two vaccines, grand. But for now, there's the hotel. 1850-715-996. New book out about the brothers Eric, Keith and John Wilson, about their cousin... Alan and their nephew, 
Luke. It's written by Owen Conlon and Stephen Breen. And Owen joins me now. Owen, good morning. Good morning. The book is called The Hitman, for this is who they were. Tell us about them. Yes, so the the, the Wilsons were, were, as you said, three brothers from Ballyfermot in West Dublin, and their nephew, who was the son of their do- their sister, who passed away from a drug overdose, and uh, their cousin, Alan, who lived in Dublin city centre. And between them, they formed a, a contract-killing clan that operated in Ireland between 05 and basically until they were finally wrapped up in 2017 when the last two of them were caught uh, working for the Kinnan cartel as part of the feud that's been going on up here in Dublin. Now, between them, they are believed to have accounted for between 12 and 15 bodies across Europe, depending on who you believe. Um, so a lot of this was driven by drug addiction, um, really, because... They started out dealing drugs, but quickly became addicted themselves. And uh, one of them, the most prolific uh, individual, Eric, uh, he was demanding a kilo of cocaine at one stage for the murders he was carrying out, and he was taking most of it himself. So it's a pretty sordid story, really. And who were they? Ordinary working-class family, or had they criminal connections growing up? What? Well... Alan Wilson, the cousin who was based in Dublin city centre, he was a nephew on his father's side of um, Martin, the General Cal. Uh-huh. He probably needs no introduction to your listeners. But on the other side, um, on the Ballyformat brothers, they, they were, unfortunately, they seem to have spiralled into it, really. From those we've talked to who knew them when they were younger, they seem to have been pretty regular guys. But they became involved in more and more serious forms of crime and it ended up with each of them outdoing the other. Uh, the oldest brother, John, would have become involved in petty crime at the age of, <clears throat> in his early teens. By 17, he was doing a year in, in uh, St. Patrick's Institution for, for car theft and joyriding. And that destroyed what was pretty much a, a promising boxing career. He moved into acting as muscle for hire for criminal gangs and the guards that know him sort of feel that the younger two brothers, Eric and Keith, looked up to him, sought to emulate him, and they, they really surpassed him in terms of criminal achievements because Eric carried out his first murder when he was 21. He shot his former best friend. They were involved in drug dealing and some drugs went missing. He then went on to carry out another series of murders. And the youngest brother, Keith, um, he followed them into the trade, shot a man in 09, which... Um, he was never convicted for, but was caught the following year carrying out a, a murder as part of a real IRA criminal feud in, in Dublin that was going on at the time. He, he really screwed up there in terms of he threw away the, the items he was wearing and the weapon as he fled the scene. So it's a, it, it's a real case of crime not paying because they've all ended up in prison or in the case of John, who himself was shot dead in 2012. Yeah, I'll get to um, that because I want to ask you about their individual yeah. demises. But like, they, they had to obviously gain the trust of, of, well, they were hardened criminals themselves, but they had to gain the trust of other hardened criminals. Uh, there they were right in the middle of the Hutchkinahan feud, which meant they had to, did they not have to trust, have the trust of both sides? Like, bizarre. <laughs> Well, I suppose by the time the Hutch Kinahan feud came around, they had already made their bones, you might say, as, as criminals. They were already known for their activities. Um, early on, it was a case of, of Eric really just proving that he could do it by actually doing it. Um, after he shot his friend in uh, 05, 
Uh, he went up to Drogheda in 06 and carried out another drug-related murder there. And in 07, he, he shot a man who had seen the murder in 06 and who had asked him for a gun as, you know, a means of uh, sort of... Uh, he wasn't threatening to expose him or anything like that, but the man wanted Eric to sell him a gun so he could pre- protect himself from Republican paramilitaries who were extorting him, this other individual. Eric promised to sell this man a gun and turned up and double-crossed him at the meet and shot him dead. So, you know, Eric had really established himself as as somebody who could be relied on to carry out these murders within the criminal fraternity. And um, his brother Keith was accepted on that basis. Um, And, you know, as I say, the, the cocaine abuse ran through this whole thing and it really... The, the mistakes they made and the sloppiness involved mm. in, in some of the, the and the reckless. Right, they weren't the brainiest. Well, I wouldn't say that it was a case of um, they just really didn't care who they shot. I mean, they were right. prepared to work for. Reckless um, then. Yeah, they would. I mean, for example, the first individual that Eric shot was a, a close relative of a man named uh, Mark the Guinea Pig Desmond, who was a notorious criminal in West Dublin. And Eric had to move down the country after that. But in 09, four years later, he carried out, or himself and Keith collaborated to carry out a murder on Desmond's behalf. So, you know, in gangland, it's kind of, if you can do it, it doesn't really matter what the past is, it seems, at times, you know? It's like, this is the kind of stuff, really, that, you know, truth is really stranger and deadlier than fiction because you couldn't sit down and make this stuff up. Yeah, and um, the, the risks that they took, as I mentioned, could well come back to haunt them. Um, there, was, there was a core connection in all oh. of this. Uh, oh, tell in, me more. In, two, in 2007, um, a man named David Brett uh, yes. was murdered in, uh, in Bally Desmond on the Cork-Kerry border. Uh, David Brett had served time for drugs, but he had been released from prison and moved to Liss Carroll uh, in North Cork. And, and was going straight, I think, at the time. He was, he was... Because uh, I knew his brother, I lay my cards on the table, or I knew a relative of his. Yeah. And, and he, uh, yeah, he, he was going straight, like, when he was done. He was, he was, he was, keeping, uh, he was keeping his nose clean, he was uh, attempting to, to build a new life for himself and his partner and his children. Doogie. But he did owe money as a result of his former activities in, in the drugs trade. So on, on the night that he died, he drove around 40 kilometres over to Bally Desmond from Liscarroll and... Uh, obviously to meet somebody, but he was ambushed and shot on the back of the head. Yeah. So, um, again... And that was this, this crowd as well, yeah? No, it was linked to the Wilsons. Um, it, uh, it, the following year, in 2008, a girl named Mariora, Mariora Rostas disappeared from the, the streets of Dublin. Yes. And as part of the investigation into that, Gardy came across uh, a number of arms dumps, dumps left by the Wilsons around Dublin City. One of them was in a park on the south side of Dublin, Bushy Park, and in that arms dump was the 357 Magnum used to murder David Brett. Now, this is an indication of the, the recklessness of the Wilsons. Um, the guards at this stage don't believe that they actually carried out the murder themselves, but that they were renting out weapons to other smaller drugs gangs to use in serious crimes such as murders. But where logic would dictate that you would get rid of a murder weapon lest it tie you to a, a killing, they were taking these weapons back and renting them out again. 
So this was really amateurish stuff and really reckless stuff. Yeah, that's and what I meant. Like they weren't the, they weren't the brainiest. They didn't think things through, as or, or they didn't care. You you raised a name there, Owen, and and this was a horrific story. Story of Maria Rostas, a innocent teenage girl who got caught up in all of this. Tell us more about her. Yes, she was a, a Romanian girl, a member of the Roma community who moved to Dublin <clears throat> over Christmas in 2007. And she was out begging on the streets of Dublin in January 2008 when a car approached her. Uh, she was across the road from her brother at the time and her brother witnessed the owner or the driver of the car offering her uh, 10 euro and saying he'd bring her away to McDonald's to buy her a meal. So she accepted this and she got in the car and she was never seen again. So the following day, her brother back in Romania received a phone call from an Irish number um, in which Mariora was, was terrified. She, was, uh, she said she'd been abducted and brought to somewhere outside Dublin. She didn't know where she was, but she could read a few letters on a, on a street sign. And she gave these to her brother and uh, she said she'd been sexually assaulted and next thing the phone went dead and they couldn't ring back. So um, Gardy investigated this. They couldn't um, make any headway with any of their informants in the criminal world. Nobody knew about it. And um, the only information that finally came forward was in in June 2007. Um, Somebody rang in anonymously and said he'd been sitting in a pub uh, and two individuals had come in and sit, sat down beside him and started talking about this murder and how one of them had shot the girl three times in the back of the head because he was high on cocaine. And uh, he could only identify this individual as either the nephew of Martin the Viper Foley or Martin the General Cahill. He didn't know which. Right. Uh, so <clears throat> following that in September, somebody rang in and said, Alan Wilson had carried out this murder and the murder had taken place in a uh, building on Brabazon Street in the south inner city. Mm-hmm. Um, Gardy investigated further. They arrested Alan Wilson and he was eventually charged uh, with the murder. But he was acquitted um, because the, there was certain phone evidence wasn't used by the prosecution, which yeah. would have linked, linked him to the... Um, did, did they find her body on? They did. They did. Uh, as part of the investigation, they recovered her remains from the Dublin mountains. Um, she'd been buried in a spot which they, it was in a wooded area, a very remote area uh, off, a, off a small country road. They were being led to the, to the body and to the arms dump by a man named Fergus O'Hanlon, who was Alan Wilson's best friend and criminal associate. O'Hanlon decided to turn, turn state's evidence after... He heard a recording of Wilson <clears throat> making a phone call from behind bars, uh, threatening to have O'Hanlon shot. So um, he was the, spe- the, the chief witness against Alan Wilson in his uh, trial. But unfortunately, the, uh, the, from a prosecution point of view, at least, the, uh, the evidence wasn't accepted by the jury and uh, Alan Wilson was acquitted wow. and, uh, and freed. So how did they all meet their eventual downfall? One of them is dead and the others are in prison. Yes, well, I suppose a lot of it could be tied to cocaine abuse. The first one uh, to go down was Eric, who was the most prolific of them. He's estimated to uh, have killed about nine people. He uh, he shot a man dead uh, on the south coast of Spain outside a bar 
after the man interfered to prevent him harassing a girl. Eric was off his head on cocaine at the time. He obviously received a, a very hefty sentence for this murder, 23 years and another five years tacked on to that because when they raided his home, they found plastic explosives and anti-tank grenades on a shed, in a shed out the back of the property. So um, that was him out of the way. And and grenades, anti-tank grenades, plastic explosives, and with the detonators kept in a drawer in his bedside locker in in case he needed to use them at some point during the night, one presumes. So um, he was out of the way for that. Uh, His brother uh, was caught the following year after that murder, as I said, where he stupidly threw away the the clothes and the weapon he uh, he used um, as he ran from the scene. He got life and is currently serving life. And John, the oldest brother, who'd been the first one to enter into the, the, the criminal fraternity, he was shot himself in 2012 as part of a separate feud. So that left Alan and uh, the nephew, Luke. Um, after Alan got out of prison in 2017, he became involved with the Kin and Hutch feud. He offered his services and got Luke on board. And the two of them participated in a plot to murder a man named Gary Hanley. Mm. Fortunately, the guards were in on it from the beginning and had all of the vehicles they were using bugged and listened to them for three months, followed them around. And uh, as I say, cocaine here played its part as well. At one stage, Luke got into a car at six o'clock in the morning and began doing lines off a dashboard. Uh, Alan boasted about um, waking up unconscious after a period of being unconscious in the the city centre where he'd fallen down a set of steps after doing a large bag of cocaine. And uh, when they moved in to eventually try and kill their target, the guards were waiting and, and wrapped them up and they were sentenced to prison sentences as a result of that. Or when you sat down with your colleague, Stephen Breen, to, to write this book, The Hitmen, and you start delving through all the stuff that you've got in front of you, do you ever stop and go, this can't be right, this is mad stuff? Yeah, it really is a case of truth is stranger than fiction. I mean, you, you kind of assume a, a basic degree of um, competence on behalf of those who are involved in serious crime, but it, it really was a case of luck rather than design that they got away with it so far, for, for so long. They certainly were ruthless. I mean, there's no question about that. They would, you know, even when they were being recorded as part of that operation that the guards were listening in on, they were saying things like about their target who had a young baby. They were saying, baby or baby, I don't give an F, he's getting it. And uh, if his partner is there, if his kid is there, we're going to open fire, it doesn't matter who gets hit. So, I mean, a lot of it is like straight out of the pages of a, of a, of a novel, but uh, this is just the life they chose and it really ended in disaster for them, thankfully. Yeah. Listen, it's a, it's a great piece of work. Uh, Stephen Breen and Owen Conlon, Owen, the assistant news editor of the Irish Sun, and Stephen, his colleague, crime editor of the Irish Sun. Owen, thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. Cheers. Thank you. 1850-715-996. The book is out now. I mean, bizarre or what? You can, you can see Netflix making a series about these lads. It's called The Hitmen. <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, do remember that we put the podcast up in mid-afternoon. It goes to all of your platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. And if you subscribe on whatever platform you take your podcast from, you get it for free every single day. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. If you're one of these people who listens to us in strange corners of the world at bizarre times of the day you'll also know that we have a repeat show or a kind of a squashed down version of the show between 3 and 5 a.m and a lot of people pick that up online around the world if you either listen to our podcast or you listen to our repeat show during the night then you want to contact us well the best way to do that is definitely opinion at 96fm.ie yeah, on Carol. Carol, of course, as always, very impressive on the show this morning. We have had a, an offer from a city councillor to arrange that maybe she can get to talk to the roads committee. That would be very, very interesting. I'd go to, I'd, I'd buy, I'd, I'd buy a ticket to go and see that. So I would. Uh, the disability officer retired in Cork City two years ago and hasn't yet been replaced. Says Eddie Hennessy. Ah, good man, Eddie. Eddie is the photographer. We had him in here actually last year. Great chat with Eddie, but rebuilding his life after uh, acquiring a disability. And this is another example of the disability community being neglected, he said. Wouldn't Carol be a brilliant disability officer? Thanks for constantly highlighting the issue. Always happy to do that, Eddie, and thank you. 1850-715-996. We're all watching nature a bit more, or have been over the course of the 12 months because for a lot of the time we had sweet damn all else to do and we were confined to our own homes or confined to the infamous 5k and what is better to do when you're going around your 5k or going just look at wildlife and we became far more aware of what was going on around us which is one great thing but but sometimes if we don't know what's going on with wildlife we don't know what they're actually doing we might mistake what is normal behaviour for a problem and we start ringing up um, trying to help them or worse still we intervene and try to help nature ourselves when we, we shouldn't do that um, Aoife McPartland is Education Officer with Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland. Aoife, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, we have been learning a lot more about the wildlife around us in the past 12 or 14 months because for a lot of the time we had little or nothing else to do but it's led to a few problems. Yes, it has indeed. Um, and again, very well-meaning people and it is great that people are aware of nature and even better that they're willing to help us. But I suppose it's just like that distinguishing when to help us um, as opposed to when to leave it. So what we're in now, we call here in the Wildlife Hospital in Meath orphan season. So this is when all the babies are being born. It's breeding season for the animals. So we have birds and mammals being born from now right through to the summer. And what tends to happen is a lot of them are left for long periods of time by their parents and people think that they've been orphaned or abandoned and they pick them up and they bring them to us and they're absolutely fine. Unfortunately, it's when mum comes back and their baby's gone. So that tends to happen with um, baby hares called leverets. Um, rabbits, that can happen with as well, but a little less so because rabbits tend to be in a nest slightly underground, whereas hares just dump their little ones in the middle of a field for everyone to see. <laughs> so not very clever. <laughs> um, and it's most common with birds. So when birds are leaving the nest, 
people assume that they just fly out of the nest, but they don't. They have to spend a little bit of time on the ground exercising those flight muscles and hopping around. And that's when people pick them up because they see a little bird hopping around who looks like he's trying to fly and he can't. And they rush out and they put him in a box and they drive him to whoever, the vet or to here, to the hospital or whoever. And that little bird is actually fine. So I suppose what I could say to people today is how to distinguish when it's fine and when it's not. I suppose one thing to be aware of, Aoife, is, you know, and what you've just outlined there, particularly with the the little birds or the hares, animals raise their babies in completely different ways to us. And if we apply our standards to animals, we're starting off on the wrong foot entirely. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. You will never see a magpie pushing a fledgling down the road in a pram. (laughs) No, you're dead right. That's exactly it. And it is a case of, you know, we have to stop putting the human kind of version of, you know, onto animals um, and just sit back and watch. And actually, that is a really key thing to do in these circumstances is to observe, you know, rather than rushing in. Because a healthy bird, um, they will look healthy, you know, they'll hop around, they will make an attempt to fly. So you'll see them kind of jumping up and down, flapping away, but not taking off. And that's what people confuse with them, this kind of inability to fly as being an injury, as opposed to literally being an inability to fly as in their own learning. And tell me, is, is Mammy or Daddy watching them while this is going on? Always. Um, And that's another key thing that you can do. Now, we get a lot of calls to the helpline that say, oh, no, I don't see any parents, but they are there. So if you have a good look around, there will be the adult version of that bird, which, again, is not always obvious. For example, a baby robin um, is brown and speckled, so he doesn't look anything like mum and dad. There's no red breast there. So that can, you know, so you may not think that that belongs to those. (laughs) What those little fellas are? They're around. They're gorgeous little lads. Ah, oh, they are. They are. And unfortunately, we've one here that was lifted because the family thought he couldn't fly. And they're, here was t- and they're tiny. They look so helpless. They are. And do you know what they are? They're the cutest because they look really angry. I don't know. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yes, know they do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so trying to all, fly here. I'm trying yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he's sitting here now and he's all puffed up. He's like an angry pom-pom and he stares <laughs> at us every time we come here. And he's thinking, why am I here? I was great there a minute ago in the garden. And now I'm stuck in here with you lads. Like, yeah, so. They're gorgeous little fellas, yeah. Oh, they are real dotes. And they're the first out. The baby blackbirds and the baby robins are first on the scene now yeah. at this time year so they're the ones that we're seeing most so that's the thing if you if they look healthy they are healthy that's that's kind of the key indicator because a bird that can't fly if it's injured or ill won't be hopping around and looking like it's full of the joys of spring it will actually just be sitting there it Mm. won't look well and if you attempt to approach it it might make an effort to get away depending on what the injury is and when it does, it will flap, but it will be very, very obvious to you when you look at it trying to flap its wings that there is something wrong there with yeah. one of the wings. You know, it's, it is easy. It's easier than you would think. So it's always worthwhile to observe. There's another and danger, isn't there, as well, that animals and birds, they go through this this part of their cycle, if you want, of being on their own to learn certain skills. But if if we interfere with that, with the best of intentions, of course, there's a danger that they would be then rejected by the rest of their flock or herd or family. Sometimes, yes. Um, you 
there are a lot of animals that you just can't return once they've been lifted because that's exactly what would happen. They they would be rejected. Now, in the incidence of some birds, particularly if you find a tiny bird, so this would be a nestling that doesn't even have any feathers, if you did find it on the ground and it was still warm and it did look like it was alive, you can actually pop that back into the nest because birds don't have a sense of smell. So people are very concerned that if you handle a baby bird, the parents might be able to smell you and they'll throw it out or they won't take it back. That's not the case. However, if the bird is gone long enough, you can't put it back because it will be a stranger, you know, at that length of time gone, if you like, because it will have been missing. But um, yeah, ultimately, immediately you can put it back. But if it's gone too long, you can't. And then there are other, there are certain species as well that just won't want to know. If the nest has been disturbed or moved or anything like that, they'll completely abandon it. Mm. So that's a very important thing so to know I as well. So I think what you're saying to us is, Aoife, particularly in the case of animals, look but don't touch because we don't understand. Ultimately, yes. Now, I mean, I don't want to say to people, you know, if it's obviously injured and you want to help it, I mean, that's fine. But look, we have a local nationwide helpline. We're not here just for rescues. We are here for advice. So by all means, if in doubt, give us a shout. That's my new tagline. (laughs) It's 0818-777-66. Okay, I'm writing that down as we speak. Okay. One last thing for you. Let's go on. I happened to notice that this morning, and knowing you're, you were coming on, I, I said I'd um, I'd ask you. I was, you know, that the mornings are are lovely and bright these these days now. And as always, I I see the birds as I'm having my morning coffee at about half past six, and they were these two. I thought they were big last year, but the magpies are. They're as big as cats this year. They're huge flipping things. <laughs> and two of them landed on my garden table and were rubbing the last of the cat food out of mm. the bowl from last evening. But are they any, them big lads, are they any danger to the little fellas like the little fluffy robins? Mm, now, you see, I don't want to get nature into trouble here now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's predator versus prey. It's always top of the food chain works its way down to the smallest. So absolutely, and this is an issue and this is a call that we would get regularly. So in other words, we would get a call to the helpline saying, but I lifted the bird because it was being pecked at by a magpie or a rook or I saw a cat prowling on the wall and I didn't want it to get attacked. But we are still interfering because everything has to eat and everything has young to feed. So they are doing what they do. This is nature mm-hmm. and it's what they do. Now, it doesn't look pretty. It is not a pleasant thing to no, watch. No. But it is nature doing its thing. And we really can't continue to step in and interfere with that. It's a very delicate balance. It's a chain. And we have to let that do its own thing. It's very clever. And nature knows what it's at. It's way more clever than we are. So hard as that is to watch... It is nature and we have to let it be. All right. And I'll leave it there with you for today. Thank you very much. That's Aoife McPartland. We talk again, Education Officer with Wildlife Rehabilitation Ireland. Look, but for the most part, don't touch. And that number, if you need advice, which is good to have, 0818 if you need advice. And thanks to, who sent that in? Chrissy. Chrissy sent in a picture of a little fellow who was in the shed last May. And that looks like one of them baby robins. He's small. He's he's tiny, actually. Little brown fella. And he looks so cross. Brilliant. 1850 715 996.
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, he's done it. It's an equaliser. It's stoppage time. And it's all right here. Grealish for seven. Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live online. With now, only pay for the games that matter to you. Your sport on your terms. With now. Listen every Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now we talked to Sean earlier on and I'll describe uh, before we finish today exactly who he's looking for to try to thank them uh, for what happened with his parents the other day inside in town but I think Neve, you were on your way I think to to Fountainstown I was and thanks so much for uh, letting me tell the story Delighted. and thank my, thank my good Samaritan we were actually on our way back from Fountainstown on Monday it was my day off and I had my little girl and our puppy in the car and we decided we'd head off to Fountainstown just because we could and we were allowed under the restrictions and we were on our way back and if you're familiar with that road, the back road from Carrigaline to Danny Brook, there's a very dangerous cross Yes. and didn't the car pack up just there at a very awkward spot. So people in general and then of course then it started to rain as well at the same time it was lashing and um, people were very kind like they pulled up and they asked could they help or could we have a spin or whatever but there was one man in particular, his name was Michael mm. And he was driving a dark coloured car. I'm useless with car brands, but it was like an Audi or BMW. And he actually got out of the car, pulled up in the lashing rain. And he was just so kind and so helpful to us. He got into the car. He tried to start it. He gave us a bit of advice on safety as well, because we were in a very dangerous spot. He, he advised us to get out of the car and stand at the side of the road in case someone went into the back of us. Mm. He went off to his, his car. He got us an umbrella, um, a red super value umbrella. And a big golf umbrella, and he offered to make phone calls for us. He was just so incredibly kind. And uh, about what time well. of the day was this? Uh, that was probably around half four, quarter to five, around yes. that time. Um, so it was quite busy as well. There was a lot of traffic on the road. But um, it was just, I suppose, like uh, uh, what impressed me more than anything else, really, I suppose, was that it's, we're living in the time of COVID, and everybody's so anxious about getting sick and so conscious of keeping their distance. But like when the chips are down and somebody is on the side of the road with a child and a puppy, people stop, you know, and they're kind and they're helpful, you know. And I just really wanted to thank this man, Michael, because he didn't have to do any of that. Mm. You know, he could have just kept on driving, but he didn't. And I'm just so extremely grateful to him for that. And I just really, really hope that he's listening today or somebody that knows him and that mm. he may have told a story to his listeners Describe today. him. I know he was driving a, a dark car. Describe him to me. Was he a tall man? Was he, um, he, he middle-aged? He, he was average-sized uh, man. Um, he had kind of graying hair. He, he was youngish. He was maybe in his early 50s, maybe. Mm. Um, you can tell how old I am when I say somebody in their early 50s. Keep talking, then. keep talking. Uh, <laughs> but um, and, uh, he, he, he was uh, very well-dressed. 
he looked to me like maybe he was coming or co- coming or going to work maybe. Mm. Um, and uh, but it all happened in such a rush that I didn't get the time to mm. kind of get more details from him, you know. And mm. even the make of the car, I know it was a dark coloured car, and it was maybe a BMW or okay. an Audi. And, or and he gave you a, a red super, a red value, super golf value golf umbrella. All right. Um, and I'd love to be able to give him back his umbrella and maybe just to say thank you to him in person as well because. Um, he was incredibly kind. And there was other people as well who rolled down the windows and said, are you okay? Do you need jump leads? Can I give you a spin? Can I call someone for you? Mm. Do you know, people were very, very kind. You Did know? you get the car going? Um, no, I didn't. Um, I I have a very good uh, mechanic uh, based in the Kinsale Road and I rang him and he sent out, he, I, he was very, he was really efficient. He sent out um, a tow truck within about 40 minutes. Right, right. So, and then I hauled in my my poor father to come and act as taxi driver uh, to come and, and collect us all and uh, and bring us home. So all's well that ends well in indeed, the end, you indeed. know. Indeed, Hopefully, but, will, the, know, will, the, will the car be all right? It, the car is fixed and all. The mechanic good. had it fixed for me by the following day good, 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 and good, good. Uh, and delivered back to me. So he was he was marvellous, really. So all we're right. all good to go. But um, but as I say, I ju- it just struck me, you know, like when you hear so much bad news on the radio and on the news all the time, that, you know, we need to be reminded that there's goodness out there too, Indeed. you know, and there's good people out there that are prepared to put themselves out to help. Absolutely. All right, and you met one of them on, on Monday. Neil, thanks very much. Uh, first day out of 5K restrictions and she heads to Fountainstown. Thanks, Neve, with the, the, the little the little un and the puppy. And on the way back, the car conks out just at that nasty cross there on the back road between Carrigaline and Donnybrook. I know it very well. And this man came along in a dark-coloured car, an Audi or a BMW, she thinks, but she knows nothing about cars. His name was Michael. This would have been about half four Monday. And it was pouring rain, and they were standing up beside the road, and the car was as dead as a doorknob, and he tried to get it started, but of course couldn't. And then he said to them, stay safe, stay out of the car. He gave them uh, a big super value. You see a lot of them around Carrigaline. A big red super value golf umbrella to keep them dry until they were able to get a lift and get a mechanic and all that. His name was Michael. She would like to contact him, if nothing else, to give him back his umbrella, but I'm sure at least to say thank you. Are you listening? Do you know who Michael is? Again, like like what happened with Sean and his parents, did anybody come home to you? Any Michael that you know come home? Do you know what happened to me on the way home the other day? Can I tell you? She'd like to give him back his umbrella, if nothing else. 1850-715-996. Here is a really cool idea to raise money for a brilliant Cork charity. Al Dalton. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. You're a billboard. A billboard man from around town. I've seen some strange billboards with strange messages on them in the last while. Is that you? That's me. That's Tell me, me about it. Um, so I run uh, a business called Notes to Quirk, uh, which is a creative design agency, but part of our work is the outdoor billboards that people see around the city and suburbs. Mm. Um, we're a family business, so about a year and a half ago, I was thrown into the managing director chair of the business um, when my aunt, Breda, who I took over the business from, sadly was passing away from cancer. And I suppose this is why I'm here to talk to you. Okay, sorry to hear about that. And you're now using the billboard business to raise some money for a charity. Tell me about that. I am. Yeah, so we've teamed up with um, Cork Arc Cancer Support House. 
And in memory of Breda, we're going to, what we want to do is install purple posters across all of our billboard sites uh, starting this Friday. So this Friday is actually Breda's anniversary. Um, we're going purple because purple is the colour of Cork Arc, if anyone knows knows, knows um, the charity. Yeah. Uh, and also purple was actually Breda's favourite colour as well. So okay. there's a lovely kind of um, connection there. So our plan is to um, install as many purple posters as we can. Uh, and we're actually going to include notes on the posters or messages on the posters. So I'm actually going to handwrite all the messages that come into me. Um, and we've been receiving like some fantastic and really heartfelt messages from people who want to either remember someone who might have passed away or to celebrate someone who has um, beat cancer. And also people who just want to support those who might be going through cancer at the moment. Mm. Um, and I just think like, you know, after the last 12 months that we've all gone through I, I, I can't imagine any family that is battling cancer within their family at the moment it must be incredibly tough yeah tough at any time but much tougher at the, at the moment so for I think it's for 20 euro or more if you want to give it for 20 euro you can sponsor a purple poster with a message on it exactly yeah now of course any donation is massive. So we had an initial target of four thousand euro, and um, I just had a quick look at our at our GoFundMe just before I popped on, and we've actually just surpassed that. Believe it or not, oh, our, our our plan is to keep going. Um, so we have about fifty more posters that we actually can include messages on at the moment, and they're the ones that I would love if people were willing to donate, and they can just go on to um, GoFundMe.com. And um, and then the campaign is called Notes for Cork Arc. Notes for Cork Arc. Listen, it's a lovely, lovely idea, and I hope you make an awful lot more money out of it as well. Uh, and people can just put any. It's for anyone who obviously passed with cancer or is fighting cancer, or you'd like if you wanted to simply just thank the nurses who looked after your mammy, kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Like if you have even a friend, like there was a, a brilliant message that she came in there of a woman whose three of her friends have all survived and beat cancer. So she had each of the names. So let's say it was like Mary, one, cancer, nil, Siobhan, one, cancer, nil. I just think like, you know, creative ideas like that for people, you know, I think the main thing that, you know, for people to understand is that these posters will be displayed all across the city. So anyone is going to see them. And if, you know, someone is maybe driving in for their treatment, like what Brita had to go through, you know, and I just keep going back to think about Breda that if she had seen these posters, it would have given her a, a kind of you know a lift, a, a, a lift exactly. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great idea, and I wish you well with it. Thanks very much for that. Uh, that's Al Dalton. Uh, it's Cork. It's notes to Cork Ark, and you find it on GoFundMe, and you put a message on the poster, purple poster just to say thanks. Lovely idea, and all the information is on the GoFundMe and all of that, and of course Cork Ark are one of our Radiothon partners here at Cork's 96FM, so we know very much uh, the work that they do and the incredible work that they do for not just the people themselves who are dealing with a cancer journey, but the whole uh, families and friends surrounding them. Notes for Cork Arc, the number four. Notes for Cork Arc. And you'll find them on GoFundMe. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. 
Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Hello gang, want to race through Wednesday with huge tunes from all the big names, the latest entertainment and just a bit of distraction for the afternoon. Join me in here from 12 on Cork's 96FM. We've often talked to people who are <clears throat> this kind of an influencer and that kind of a star on the gram for all sorts of various reasons. I love playing around on Instagram myself with my own little photographs, but a very unusual one, very unusual use of Instagram is uh, that currently being done by Justine Looney from the Cork Flower Studio. You called it Plantstagram, Justine, and it is very nice, and I've seen some of your uh, posts and some of your pictures. Just a lovely idea. Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Where did this idea come from? Um, well, I think actually uh, lockdown has been a huge influence on people um, looking for things to do and plants have become really popular in the last year or so. So, um, yeah, we're we're only kind of getting interested in it ourselves really over the last 12 months. So, um, so yeah, it's just been kind of an exploring uh, plants and how to look after them and sharing tips and that kind of thing. I've got some of your posts, and and they're and they're really nice, like the little cactuses there and stuff. So, and they're all done against the same background. So, how did you get started? Um, well, I suppose our our Instagram page, we um, are photographing flowers a lot. Obviously, that's our our main business, and um, we've just found that's kind of we've got a blackboard outside the door, and we tend to put everything against that background because it just kind of keeps a bit of consistency, and people kind of can see everything quite clearly in it. So yeah, we're just following that um, model for the for the plants as well. Mm. What are the popular plants at the moment? Like you said, we're all a bit more interested in it these days because you know we've had very yeah. little to, de- to do <laughs> in the last do, I know. twelve months. Um, uh, yeah, most, yeah. Most. I suppose I suppose um, what kind of influences us with plants a bit is the the um, what's easiest to look after. Say in the shop, it's not the best environment for plants. It can be a bit too dark and cold inside, and a bit too bright and sunny in the window. So we, we sort of uh, shock what suits our, our, the environment here for us. And then that sort of works its way out. It generally tends to suit people at home as well because they could have similar conditions. Mm. So we find that uh, succulents, cactus and uh, orchids are probably the best plants um, for those kind of just slightly um, off environments that are either yeah. too warm or, or too cold. Cactus yeah. are very popular. Why do you think that is? I think they're just so sculptural, aren't they? And quite architectural. They can look really nice in a house. And I think one of the main things with cactus and, and succulents is that they're so easy to look after that it's a bit of a win-win. Like mm. most people who come into us say, oh, I can't keep anything alive or, <laughs> um, I, I, or kill anything that comes into the house. But actually, it's quite hard to kill a cactus or succulent. You know, they're very... Um, they, they kind of tolerate a lot of that, That's those kind of plump leaves, is it? They, they you know, they're a similar family to cactus and they just don't have the spikes. Right. That's kind of the, the, the difference between them. Um, so, yeah, you don't hurt yourself when, <laughs> when you touch the leaves. But, yeah, yeah. The and should you, really should you leave a cactus, if you've got a cactus or a succulent, should you leave it in sunlight or what do you do? Well, if you think about it, they're from kind of mainly deserty yeah. areas. So they do like warm, dry, bright conditions very little water, like too much water will kill it. So very little water. You can see like by the, the plump leaves, that's where they store, that's what they sort of live off. 
So, um, yeah, very, very little water and they do like bright. And, and do you know the rule of thumb with most plants is if they're doing well, don't move them, don't touch them. Yeah, <laughs> the, one, the ones right. on, that you've got yeah. up, most of them are quite small. Um, we don't go too huge just because I guess we're a city centre shop and our, our customer base locally here are mostly living in apartments and spaces maybe that aren't that big. So we try and keep things a bit more manageable in size. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few places like there's um, Deep Root Gardening on George's Key do kind of bigger selection of larger plants and we kind of go up and down to them we, they provide us with soil and stuff like that so um, you know there are places there's lots of places around Gork Garden Centres are great mm. um, and you'll always find something there so yeah it depends and I think most places like we'd be the same if somebody was looking for something bigger we yeah. can order it in C- can you yeah. get the bigger cactuses you know the, you know, the, you the, the ones that are two or three feet they call, they call <laughs> yeah. it the cowboy cactus you know those big That's ones right. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. They, they are, and will they, they grow here they will? will they grow they will again indoors um, it's probably your best bet here most of them and the succulents the same they don't like sort of the wet and cold combination so Indoors is probably better. Echeveria, which are a type of succulent, do grow outdoors, um, but they just don't like when it gets really cold or really wet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, like, there's different varieties for indoor and outdoor. Orchids are another one. My, my, my missus has a particular fondness for orchids because of, I think, the range of colour. They can come they, in some they're, remarkable they're so colours. They can be yeah. hard to mind, though. Now, she's good at it. She can get an orchid and keep it for months if yeah, and or- orchids orchids should last like long term. And um, they generally, if they're in the right spot, again they they they'll fly. They'll keep flowering over and over again. If they're in the wrong spot, they'll tell you quite quickly. So it's, it's rare enough for an orchid to just die. It just yeah. means they they just need to be moved. Maybe you can get them a little bit droopy looking. They get a bit sad exactly. looking. Exactly. Yeah. But, but so once the, can... the once the leaves are nice and strong and green, you know that it's living. Even if the flowers have died off, they'll come back again. Yeah. But again, they're quite similar to the to the succulents and cactus. They do like warm, dry, um, sunny, not too much water at all, and uh, yeah, bright. Yeah, they, they they really do well in in a bright in a bright kitchen setting where they they sun, do yeah. exactly yeah yeah. Windows do they take enough moisture out of the air? You don't need to give them a whole you, pile of water. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, they almost do. And bathrooms the same. If you've got a nice bright bathroom, you know, there's plenty of steam in that that they'll get. Yeah. enough moisture from that that you don't need to go near them with water but yeah. plants in the house can be good for us too they can they can and not just um, obviously they, they're good for purifying the air and things like that but they're also good for your mental health I think just to have something that little bit cheerful in the corner well, <laughs> that you could chat to if you want <laughs> I have a particular fondness and I finally got one the Queen Bee arrived home for, with one for me the other day it's a tiny little one and I'm hoping it'll grow I love sunflowers Oh, sunflowers! Are I the best. love them, and this little thing—it's a doughty little pet of a thing. It's only about a foot, a foot. Yeah. And yeah. and she brought home a little pot, and we have a perfect spot in the corner of the garden. Now I want a big six-footer. Have I yeah. a long way ahead of me? Um. Well, it depends on the variety of the sunflower. Like there are different varieties. Yeah. So some can grow six foot and taller, and then some are kind of little miniature ones that they mm. won't go kind of higher than maybe three foot. But um. 
yeah, it, it might just be a case of waiting to see what happens with yeah. this. I don't do you just mind them? And give them do they do they need, need a lot of water? Because obviously they need sunlight, but do they need they a lot need of water? Sun, sunlight mostly, and if they're outdoors in Ireland, you'll find mostly they get enough water. But if we have a very dry spell, it's definitely good to give them a drink. Like when you cut when you have cut sunflowers at home, when you when you cut the ends and put them into fresh water, it's amazing. You can see them stand up. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, it's almost like they raise their head again exactly it's, yeah it's yeah. Lovely. and they yeah. do the heads do follow the sun so well you know they will kind of that's the beauty of them is that in the mornings um when they're growing they will sort of be drooped over and then as the day goes on they'll follow the sun yeah. up yeah no i love them I, know, I, I love them they're like a big yeah. smile yeah. in the corner of the garden are, i love so, them yeah yeah Absolutely. yeah yeah all right and yeah. Planstagram, I, I love that idea. <laughs> yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a worldwide thing. Like, there's whole plant communities where people are sharing tips. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, floristry is quite different to horticulture. They're yeah. two very different disciplines. So, really, with plants, we've been learning as we go, and it's really just trial and error. And Google is brilliant. And then, uh, obviously, all these plant communities on, on Instagram and social media that you can share ideas and learn things from. Okay. Because there is no, like perfect way of doing something like it, things will work differently in different settings so obviously different countries different temperatures um, yeah, and yeah uh, and as I say different things work for different people so it's all, it is all about trial and error and not to be intimidated by it Fantastic alright have a go have a go and the, the worst the worst they can do is die on you then you buy another one Thanks Justine from the Cork Flower Studio 1850 Yeah my little Sunflower arrived home the other day in a pot, and it's, I've been wanting to put it in the, the corner of our deck for a long time. So hopefully, they say that they reach their peak height for the season by about the end of May, start of June. So we'll see how big it gets. We will. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. If you want another uh, nice plant Instagram to look at, uh, if anyone's into bonsai trees. Remember, Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid and all that? Yeah, and, and um, what's the Cobra Kai, Mr. Miyagi? Yeah, um, bonsai trees. Our friend from this show, Michael Gearin, uh, is a bonsai guru. Uh, they're brilliant. His bonsai trees are just incredible. And he has Budan Bonsai on Instagram. Some fabulous photographs of his, these little trees, fully grown trees in a little pot. The things you find when you're plodding around Instagram on the bus. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only on Cork's 96FM. There's a story, I, it was in the radio news at 11 o'clock and the Irish Times confirmed it this morning, but there's a story which uh, saw the light of day for the first time on the opinion line. It's broke, it's weeks ago now. 
remember we weren't 100% sure what was happening, but our information led us to believe that Cork Airport was to close for a period of at least six weeks in the autumn. Irish Times confirming today, uh, via the head of communications at the airport, Kevin Cullinan, we have put in a call, we don't have him just yet, uh, they will close for 10 weeks to carry out a 30 million euro reconstruction of the main runway and availing of the drop in passenger numbers due to COVID-19 to do it. They are going to open in the summer for whatever flights are operating and will then complete the runway project over a 10-week off-peak period, allowing them to reopen for what will be a busy Christmas and hopefully a bumper 2022. That's the story that we remember we, we had we had the bones of it. We, we we knew what was happening, but we had no confirmation of it. But our sources were were close enough and, and dependable enough to lead us down that road. Confirmed today uh, that Cork Airport to close for 10 weeks in the autumn uh, so that they can do up the runway. Normally they do these things at night while the run while the, the airport is open by day. But it, apparently it's cheaper to do it. By day. Look, that we'll probably follow it up tomorrow. But it's confirmed anyway what we, what we, we broke on, this, on the show a few weeks back. Now, Katie from properfood.ie has come up with a great idea for when we can go to eat. Because when we can go to eat again, most of it is going to be in the outdoors. If not all of it, for the first a bit of time anyway. It'll all be outdoors. So, Katia from properfood.ie, the idea is what? Good morning to you. Good morning. Your plan is an app and a map. No, just a map. Just a map. Just a map. Jeez, so I wouldn't have the time for a map, for an app. So what's going to happen? <laughs> just a map. Okay. Where are you going to put it? It's on my website at the moment, um, and I suspect it's going to stay there. It's nice and safe, and I'm I'm updating it as I go. Okay. And what's in it? The the places that will be open and when they'll be open? Because we don't know yet what will be open. So at the moment, I'm I'm working with the only information we have, and it's a list of restaurants, cafes, pubs that serve food, mm. and that I have outdoor seating. Right. And who will be with? will be open, hoping to open at some stage this summer. So I don't have any information as to when that will be or opening hours or anything like that. Um, literally just locations right. and a list of names that you can click into and contact yourself if you have any queries right. for them. And wh- where does it cover? Is it the city, the county, where? The whole country. The whole country? Yes. There's a lot of work in this, Kesha. It's a lot of, yeah, no, I've been at it for a few days. And can people let you know? Or do you, yes, uh, yes. So they can contact me at katia at properfood.ie and just give me the name of the place and the location and confirm that they do have outside seating. Yeah, because obviously when we can open and when we can go and have a bite to eat, people, businesses will want to know or want us to know that they can take some outdoor seating and that they will be open. So the map will be on the website. for the. So you literally, will it be interactive? 
it is interactive in the sense that you can click on the links and they will take you to either the place's website or their Facebook page or whatever they had on their Google Map location information. Great. And has there been much interest in it for you so far? People contact yeah, you and say, I'm open or I will be here, I am there. It's been it's been quite busy. Um, I think it's just given the businesses a little bit of hope and something to do. Yeah. So, like, when we can eventually travel outside of our county or even within the county and some places open, so I would be able to check on your website before I leave the house. If I want to go to Kerry or Dublin or wherever, I can check uh, before I leave or bring it with me on my computer or my iPad and say, ah, look, there's such and such place. There's, there's that. Ah, they're open and they do food and I got it on your website. Exactly. And uh, what you find is that actually Cork is miles ahead of anywhere else in well, the country. Well, tell me more, because we had Princess um, Street last year, of course. Exactly, yeah. and it's coming back this year, and the businesses are very much ahead of everywhere else in terms of organising outdoor seating and working together. Mm. Um, so that's really good to see. Yeah, this plan to pedestrianise 17 streets, of course, and, and they're working on it, I mean, that's been very well received by the industries because they obviously well, they want to open and the only way they'll be able to open initially is to get out into the street so exactly. so that looks like you'll, you'll be very busy telling us where we are going exactly hopefully all right. all right okay it's properfood.ie and then they'll be able to find the map catch you Varadu from properfood.ie so an interactive map of wherever you want to go what restaurants are there whether they have outdoor seating and then there'll be a link and they might bring it to their Facebook page or bring it to their internet or whatever. And that's a cracking idea. 1850-715-996. Quick mention, we don't usually do these, but you know what, why not? Josephine was on. She said, hello, PJ. Just let you know our son, Keith, is getting married to Daisy at one o'clock today in Kent in the UK. Just themselves. Jude unfortunate to the times in which we live and I'm sure Josephine in better times you'd have been over there with them celebrating but you know what these these tough days will end and you will be able to go and they'll be able to come over here and you can have the party of all parties to, to mark the occasion just, just can't do it today so that's Keith and Daisy getting married in Kent in the UK at one o'clock today and that is about it from us. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.